It's always good to praise the Lord together, isn't it? Again, to worship the Lord and to praise Him together. In the years 2006 to 2010, there was a new reality TV show that was released called Joe's Versus Pros. I don't know if any of you ever saw this program, but the basic thesis of the, of the program was that amateur athletes were pitted against professional athletes in their field of expertise. And so it would be uh, you standing in the batter's box facing a professional baseball pitcher, or going one round with a professional boxer, and, and so on. Only lasted four years. I don't know if they ran out of sporting events or ran out of people that were dumb enough to try that. I don't know. But I remember at the time hearing about this program and thinking, this is kind of like us doing combat with the devil, right? I mean, you get the professional versus the amateur. We're pretty amateurs when it comes to combat with the evil one, aren't we? And that's why I'm grateful for the lessons that are learned as we look at Jesus and his encounter with Satan in the wilderness. Last week I suggested to you that we don't deal well with times of testing and times of temptation. I suggested to you that oftentimes it's our wrong attitudes that make it especially difficult to deal with times of testing and temptation in our lives. It's my observation in Scripture and my observation in my own, my own personal life that it's the testing in life that oftentimes brings the, the reality and the opportunity of temptation to sin. Tests are a part of life, aren't they? My friend Roger, I've known Roger for about 15 years. He started attending our church in Alpha And I remember early on, he would say over and over again, life is a test. And sometimes it just feels that way. Life is a test. I shared with you the quote last week that Martin Luther says that there's three things that make a man or a woman of God. Prayer, meditation, and temptation. And so we want to return this Sunday and look again at Jesus in the wilderness and his experience of being tested and, and tempted in the wilderness. I showed you pictures last week of the desert, reminders that the place that Jesus was was a lonely, desolate place. And so I want you to come with me again to Mark chapter 1, and then we're going to look again at Matthew chapter 4 to refresh our memories of this portion of the scripture. Mark, in his special way, summarizes this experience in Jesus' life in two simple words, or two simple verses. Immediately after the baptism, immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were serving him. And then if you turn over to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew provides a lot more detail. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you. 
and on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him along in a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to serve him. And so there's three big ideas, three big lessons that have impressed me as I've reflected on this portion of Scripture. The first I shared with you last week, that testing is God's plan for me. Are you excited about that? Yeah, me neither, but it seems to be true. (laughs) It seems to be true that God always tests those that He uses. And we looked last week at several examples of testing in the Scriptures and men that God tested in a period of time of testing and they were men that God used in mighty and significant ways. Jesus going into the wilderness didn't happen by accident, right? Do you remember last week that Matthew and Luke say that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Mark uses the word, he brought him into the wilderness and the word is a word of force. He threw him out, tossed him out into the wilderness. A word that's often associated with violence. This was God's plan, God's will, God's design for Jesus. To be there in the wilderness. To be there to be tempted. And so the second thing that I learned as I I reflect on the experience of Jesus is this simple thought. Testing is hard. Testing is a time of hardness. Have you experienced that in your life? Testing is hard. Um, It's always been hard and will always be hard. And for Jesus, he he experienced hardness in at least four different ways. And I want you to see this in this passage of Scripture. Because this testing that involved hardship, for Jesus included hard times. Forty days in the wilderness. And when you hear the number 40 in the Bible, do you think of other examples of things that took 40-something, 40 days, 40 years, 40, 40, 40? 40 lashes. 40 lashes. I wasn't thinking about that one. Um, But when when Noah got in the ark, how long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses left Egypt after killing the Egyptian and went out into the desert, how many years was he in the desert before he met God at the burning bush? Forty years. When the spies were sent into the land by Moses to spy out the land, how long were they there? Forty days. And of course, the classic example, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Forty years. And so the number 40 seems to have the idea of something that is complete. Something that's kind of, that's the completeness or perfection of, of time. It was hard times. 40 days and 40 nights. You ever been through a period of testing that lasted 40 days? That's like five weeks. You ever gone through a period of testing that lasted longer? Yeah. Yeah. Whole year. Yeah. Or longer. Whole uh, year. Yeah. Recently. Last year. <laughs> You know, boot camp. How long did boot camp last? It like forever, six weeks. Yeah, boot camp. There's an illustration I haven't thought of, Tom. Well, 
Yeah, I, I understand that. But when we go through times of testing, no matter how long it is, it's a hard time, right? Whether it's a day, a week, a month, or years. Some of you have experienced difficulty, hardship, tough time for a long, long time. And you wish it would end, right? Not always our ambition, we want it to end, going through hard times. Jesus experienced hardness, hard times. He also experienced hardness in being in a hard place, out in that desert, alone. Forty days in that desolate, lonely place. Hard places. The thing that struck me the most was it was hard circumstances. He was weak. He was hungry. He was tired. Have you ever noticed that the enemy tends to come and attack at times when you are weak and weary, tired, worn out? Is it just me that experiences that reality? But that was Jesus' reality. Hard circumstances. Forty days. Forty days without food. Have any of you ever tried to fast for forty days? You're a lot smarter than I am. I've, I've experienced fasting on multiple occasions. One, one of the most stupid um, experiences in my life is I frequently go to Yosemite. That's kind of my happy place, my place to be alone with the Lord. I love to go to Yosemite. I love to walk and just talk to the Lord, walk and sing. That's a place where I get away to just, just me and the Lord. And I remember this one time, I went to Yosemite for three or four days, and I got this brilliant idea that I was going to hike to Half Dome, and I was going to fast. And so the morning before, I thought, you know, I, I need something to kind of get me started in the morning. So I went to the store, and I bought one of those little third of a quart of orange juice. And I drank that, and then I set off for Half Dome. It's about eight and a half miles, maybe a little longer, because I started in Camp Curry. Went to the top of Half Dome, felt pretty good, I was a little hungry, not too bad. But on the way back, I decided they were probably going to plant a white cross on the side of the trail to mark where I finally died. <laughs> it was one of the stupidest things I've ever done. And I don't know if it was stupider, but um, Ed Trenner and I decided we were going to do a 40-day fast. And it must have been connected to some event or something back in the late 90s. And so we started this 40-day fast, and he turned me on to carrot juice. This is how you get through a fast. Water and carrot juice for 40 days. Oh, that was a long... I, I made it into the early 30s, 31, 2, 3. So I didn't make it the full 40 days. I think Ed did. But as I read about fasting, I discovered that my experience paralleled what I'd read. First two or three days, I was hungry, thought about food a lot. Um, it, was, it was difficult. The next several days, you, you kind of adjust and adapt. Not too bad, not craving food, not thinking about food all the time, not dreaming about double-doubles and in-and-out, uh, you know. But then things kind of changed over a period of, you know, by that time you're two weeks in or so, and now all you think about is food. All you think about is pain. And it's interesting that the scripture says that at the end of these 40 days, Jesus became hungry. And we read that and we think, 
Well, I experience that every day at 11.45. No, you don't experience what Jesus experienced. 40 days without food. Circumstances that are hard. Place that is hard. Everything about this is hard. And then the final capstone of hardness is hard decisions. Faith. Turn those stones into bread if you're hungry. I remember getting back from Half Dome that day. I got on the shuttle bus, went to the village, ordered the largest pepperoni pizza they had, and scarfed the whole thing down. (laughs) Turn those stones into bread. Satan says, jump off the pinnacle. Angels are going to catch you. Worship me in all the kingdoms. All these temptations, and we could spend hours talking about these temptations. There's a lot involved here. But basically, what was on the line was God's will. What was God's will and plan and purpose for Jesus? Was it going to be accomplished by jumping off the pinnacle, worshiping Satan, Not going to happen. The whole point of Jesus' life and ministry was a path to the cross, right? And so there's these, these hard, hard times, hard places, hard decisions. And Jesus responds to the testing and temptation of the evil one with the simple words, It is written. Anyone know, by the way, where those passages of Scripture are found that Jesus quoted to the devil? They all come from one book of the Bible. (laughs) We're going to guess all 66 books, don't we? Would you be be in trouble if your ability to survive times of temptation all depended on your knowledge of the book of Deuteronomy? And so Jesus combats this this temptation. And I have people who have said to me, well, of course Jesus successfully resisted the evil one. Of course Jesus came through this test with flying colors. He was God, right? Of course he passed the test. We forget Jesus also had that human side, right? The God-man. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 2.18 He himself suffered when he was tempted and he is able to help those who are tempted. Do you ever feel like do you ever feel like God doesn't understand? The Lord doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't understand. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, that's not true. (laughs) He's able to help those who are tempted because he himself suffered. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all things as we are, 
yet without sin. Therefore, let us do what? Let us draw near with boldness to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hard times, times of testing, times of temptation. Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. Can you, are you able to wrap your head around that? I have trouble with that person. He understands all that. That's what the scripture says. He experienced this time of testing, this time of temptation. Testing is hard. Testing is part of God's plan for me. And then my third big idea is testing always results in either victory or defeat, right? One or the other. Can you think of examples of people in the Bible that successfully passed tests? Yeah, Joseph's one of my favorites, Carol Ann. Uh, that, that, story, that story where he's being tempted sexually by Potiphar's wife. And what does Joseph do? He leaves, the, he leaves his coat behind. Then he went through that period of testing where he's in, in prison for three years. Passing the test. Who else comes to mind when they think of someone successfully passing the test? Joe. Yeah. Joe. Yeah, wow. How about Abraham when God told him to sacrifice his son? Yeah. You know, there's lots of examples of uh, victories in the Bible. Lots of examples of victories. And then you think, so are there any examples of defeats? David jumps to mind first, right, Ed? Yeah, David didn't do too well on that test. Wow. Flunked big time. Who else flunked their test? Jonah. Jonah, yeah. God says, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel. He says, I'm going that way. Yeah, whole Garden of Eden, Eden, Adam and Eve story. Peter denied Christ three times. Wow. Moses in the wilderness. God said, speak to the rock. And Moses is all ticked off and hits the rock. Failed the test. How about Abraham when he and Sarah went to Egypt? <laughs> he says, oh, this is my sister Sarah. Glad to meet you, Sarah. Isn't it fascinating that God gives us examples of both victories and defeats? Why does God do that? If all we had were stories of victories, what would the consequence be for us? We don't measure up. I fail all the time. I can't measure up to those great stories. And so God gives us the balance that, yeah, there's great victories, but there's also these significant sad defeats. Times of testing, times of temptation always result in either victory or defeat. Victories, by the way, are defined by what? Our obedience to God's will. That's exactly what Jesus faced. Was he going to submit himself to the will of God, to God's purposes and God's plans? Yes. 
living life God's way on God's timetable. Obedience. You know, there's an old, old hymn many of you are familiar with. And uh, I think it's the, isn't the first line of the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Obedience to God's will. When you and I are tested, when you and I are tempted to sin, it always has to do with God's will. What is God's will for you today and tomorrow and next week? The enemy is always on the prowl, always on the attack to divert us, to divert you and to divert me from God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. Victory is always defined by God's will. Was that true for Abraham when God promised to give him a son and it didn't for years? And he waited and waited. And Abraham failed the test because, well, hey, here's Hagar. We'll produce offspring through her. It always has to do with God's will. And that's why the second thought about this is so important. Because victory is, first of all, defined by obedience to God's will. But then it's determined by our reliance on God's word. Just as Jesus said to Satan in each of these instances of temptation, it is written, it is written, it is written. Your victory, my victory, will be determined by our reliance on God's Word. And that's why it's so important that we cultivate our relationship with God's Word, where we're listening to it, we're reading it, we're meditating on it, that we're cultivating and developing that sense of reliance on God's Word. That is the chief tool that God has given to you and to me that we might be victorious in times of testing and times of temptation. Have you ever experienced a time of testing, a time of temptation, where all of a sudden a passage of Scripture jumps into your mind? Yeah, a lot of you are nodding. The, the value of memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, cultivating our familiarity with Scripture, where God will bring to our minds important passages of Scripture in important times of crisis and challenge and testing. Victory is defined by obedience to God's will. It's determined by our reliance on Scripture. And then thirdly, it's destined to lead us to effective ministry. The reason, at least one of the reasons, that God takes you and me through times of testing, through times of temptation, through times of difficulty, through times of hardship, is because he is molding and shaping you and me to be more effective in serving him. That's what God wants. God believes in your potential to serve him far better than you do. He believes far more in my potential than I ever have or ever will. And so times of testing, times of difficulty... God is preparing us and shaping us 
to greater usefulness for him. What happened to Moses after 40 years on the backside of the desert? What I call his BD degree, backside of the desert. What happened to Moses after 40 years taking care of sheep after being a prince of Egypt for those first 40 years? Now he's 40 years on the backside of the desert. And what is God doing in Moses' life? Preparing him for what? Leadership. That whole experience with Pharaoh in Egypt and then leading the people of God to the promised land. Times of difficulty, times of hardship, times of testing, preparing for significant ministry. Just as Jesus was tempted and came out of that desert of temptation to launch into ministry, it was true for Moses, it was true for Joseph, three years in prison, things aren't looking too good. Joseph went from the pit of that prison in the providence of God and in the timing of God to where? All the way to the top of the kingdom. He's, he's in charge of the whole operation. And God used Joseph at a pivotal point in history to deliver his people from a time of significant famine. <laughs> Testing, hardship, prepared Joseph. And you just think of all the illustrations in Scripture. Uh, someone threw out Jonah earlier. We were talking about people that failed. Jonah was a huge failure, right? Well, until he got spit up on the beach and did what God told him to do, God used him in a significant way. And so I think of this time of testing for Jesus, and I think of these, these lessons that speak to me that... God's plan for me is to experience times of testing and temptation. That's part of God's plan. And it's going to involve hardship. It's going to involve, involve difficulty. Do you ever wish it was otherwise? Well, I sure do. I'd, I'd love to cruise through life without hardship. Wouldn't you? Just cruise right through, always having enough money to pay your bills, always having great health. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Well, that may not be God's plan. Probably isn't God's plan in fact. Times of hardship that are preparing us for greater ministry. I think He wants to do that for us as a church. I think He wants to do that for, for us individually. Preparing us for greater opportunity for service. To serve King Jesus. So I don't know what your current situation is. I don't know what hardship you all are going through. I know what some of you are experiencing. Hard time, time of testing. I don't know what God is doing in your life. I know He has a purpose. I know He has a plan. Hard times are part of His plan. The real question is, how's my attitude? The real question is, how, how am I dealing with it? Am I resentful? Am I angry? Am I questioning God's love for me? Sometimes God's greatest evidence of love for us is that He's putting us through a time of testing to purify us, to prepare us. How's your attitude? My attitude's not always good. Not always. I don't like times of hardship and testing, do you? Don't like it. 
is hard. So what does God want me to learn? What does he want you to learn? Submission to his will. Learning to respond rightly. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's the most difficult word in that passage? Always. It's easy to rejoice sometimes. It's even easy to rejoice much of the time. But to rejoice all the time? Seriously? Or as James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. How come no one ever chooses that for their life verse? <laughs> Lord, help me to respond well. I think more than anything else, what God wants you and me to learn is that we can trust Him. He's trustworthy. Is your God trustworthy? Can you trust Him? No matter what happens, no matter what you experience. Can you trust Him no matter where the finances go south, health goes south? Can you trust Him? That's what God wants to teach us. He's worthy of our trust. And so, this is the way I want to learn to pray. I struggle to pray this prayer, to pray this way. Lord, I accept this test is from your hands. Any of you recognize the name Kenny Poor? Kenny was a wonderful, wonderful man of God associated with Hume Lake for many years. I never forget a sermon he preached, I want to say 50 years ago, where he used the phrase, Father Filtered. Everything that comes into your life and my life passes through God's hands. It's Father Filtered. That's what this prayer wants to say. I accept this test is from your hands. Help me to learn what you have for me through it. Help me to recognize where Satan wants to draw me into sin. I, I need to see that, understand that. Help me to resist and teach me to depend on you, your strength, your word, as I go through it. Through this experience, make me more useful for you and your kingdom. Is that your prayer? God, make me more useful. Make me more useful for you and your kingdom. It's true. Times of testing are God's plan for me. Times for testing include hardship. I don't like it. And I'm going to either be victorious or I'm going to fail. I don't know about you, but I need God's help to be victorious. In 1956, five families left America headed to the jungles of Ecuador. Their vision, their passion was to share the love of Jesus with this indigenous Indian tribe, the Aka Indians of Ecuador. A tribe that was known to be vicious, a tribe that prized above all other values, they prized revenge and murder. You know, you don't see too many businesses with a mission statement that says we prize revenge and murder, right? 
But that was this Indian tribe, the Aka Indians of Ecuador, and these five missionary families went to Ecuador. Names that some of you recognize, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Roger Udarian, Ed McCauley. Those five men and their families went to Ecuador and began evangelism and preaching. And in a short matter of time, on a beach along the river, all five of these men were killed by the Indians. It was a huge, huge uh, issue in Christian circles that year that these five missionaries were all killed. And we would think in our human way of thinking, what a tragedy, what a loss, what a mistake. How could God let this happen? Well, in the providence of God, a couple of the wives of those five men, along with their children, stayed there in that tribe of Indians, continuing to preach the gospel and love the people. And over a period of time, many came to faith, came to know Jesus, came to walk with Him, came to follow Him, came to serve Him. Interestingly, 50 years later, in 2006, someone had the idea of honoring these five missionary men with a time of remembrance and especially the production of of a movie. And so plans were put together to create a film that they titled The Tip of the Spear because spears had been the weapons of the Aka Indians that had killed these five missionaries. The Tip of the Spear. And as plans were put together and they began developing ideas for this movie, the Indians were approached about their role in the movie to portray themselves and they refused to participate. They wanted nothing to do with it. Many of those men who had been the executioners on the beach were still alive. Many of those men had come to faith, but they wanted nothing to do with this movie project. Until someone explained to them that in many neighborhoods and cities in the United States of America, revenge and murder are huge themes. And the prayer and hope is that the message of this movie would be revolutionary in the lives of men and women in this country because of what God did in the lives of those Indians in in Ecuador. And so the Aka Indians agreed to participate and be a part of the film. I don't know how many of you watched the movie when it was produced. Amazing, amazing movie. This amazing, amazing story. And so God used this horrible horrific, awful event on the beach in Ecuador to transform the lives of dozens and dozens of Aka Indians and then through the ministry of that movie 50 years later to touch and impact the lives of millions of our fellow countrymen. God uses times of hardship and times of difficulty that we don't understand to accomplish His purposes to further his kingdom. And that's what God wants to do in your life and my life. Hardship, difficulty, testing, temptation. God has a purpose and a plan. And we need to guard our hearts 
against resentment, guard our hearts against anger, guard our hearts against questioning His love for us, and embrace the reality that God's end game is greater advance of His kingdom. That's always God's end game. That His kingdom would go forward in power and might, and lives would be changed, and people would come to know Jesus. And so, Lord, that's my prayer this morning. That as we look at this this time in Jesus' life, a time of hardship, a time of testing, a time of victory, a time of launching Him now into His ministry. Lord, I pray that You would help us to see the simple truth that You want to use us for Your kingdom. You want to use us to advance the gospel. You want to use us to touch and even transform the lives of men and women and boys and girls. And that more times than not, the path to our usefulness is through times of hardship. And so, Lord, we embrace that as as James instructed us to count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. And if we let patience have its perfect work, that we would become complete, perfect, lacking nothing. And so Lord, accomplish your purpose in each of our lives. Lord, make us useful to you. Make us more useful. Make our church more useful. Make our church uh, a mighty lighthouse in this community. Might this place be a place where people find Jesus, where people discover your love and care and provision for them. Might this be a place where we see many coming to know and embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Use us to do that. Accomplish your purposes as we submit ourselves to your will, to your purposes, and to your plans. Lord, we want to be useful to you. We want to be used by you, empowered by your spirit, to make a difference in this community. Thank you for doing that in our lives and in our church. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would just stand and, and as we sing the song, make that kind of a singing prayer that as you go through those temptations that you will choose to praise, that you will remember to glorify His name and that you will remember that He doesn't fail. He's not failing when you're going through a test. To make this song kind of a prayer, a closing to Pastor Roy's message, a prayer to Jesus, and just promising what you're going to do when you hit those times. Here we go.
So for all your days, may you bless his name. And may the same spirit that impelled Jesus out into the wilderness impel you out those doors this morning into a lost world that needs to know about Jesus. He wants to use you and he wants to use me. Are you ready to be used? That's the question. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you.